I find it quite astounding the way in which the Holy Spirit works. Truly amazing, Randy. I told you that uh, God woke me up early Saturday morning, yesterday morning, changed my message for tonight. And what you read us tonight lines up with the message he's given me. Amazing. And what that is, is there's, it's very important, <clears throat> the signs that we're looking at. If you were to uh, go on a journey, there's many signposts. And I remember early on in our married life, we'd travel through the States, and I was astounded at the number of signs. I don't know if any of you remember, but boy, oh boy, they had signs everywhere. But it's important to know the signs, and some of the signs pointing and saying, this direction is Toronto, that direction is London. At least it, it gets you on the right road. <clears throat> it did happen to me one time we were heading back from, I think it was Indianapolis, and we got to somewhere in Michigan. It was at night, it was pouring rain. I had to fill up for, for gas. That was Indianapolis, yes. And uh, it was late on a Sunday. Pulled in for gas, I got back onto the main highway. Within a half an hour, I thought, Lansing, Michigan? That's not where I wanted to go. I'm heading back home. Well, I had to turn around and find our way back in the, in the middle of the rain. I stopped at a service center, and a trucker, I mentioned it to a trucker. He says, look, follow me. He says, I know the back way, and that'll get you there quicker. Right. So the signposts are very important. And this is what I was woken up about Saturday morning. This is something that I didn't really think that I might be speaking on. Little did I know, I guess. But lining up with what Randy has just said to us, I think we have to be, have to have our head in the sands if we don't recognize that things today are certainly not what they used to be. And especially if you're my age and a little older. I remember growing up in the 50s. <clears throat> I mean, certainly I was a kid, but those were good years. It was after the war. Things seemed to be going along fine. Yes, people were going through difficult times, and money was tight, as usual. But in the main, we grew up in a, in a wonderful society. Sunday morning, the church bells would ring, calling people to church. In those days, there was preachers that would go out in the street preaching. My grandfather used to pass tracts around at the hospital until the day came when he was no longer allowed to. And all of a sudden, things began to change. And if they were alive today, I wonder if they really recognize this place. And if you said to them artificial intelligence, they'd say, what? What's that? If you said, they're working on transhumanism. What? What's that all about? And you explain it to them. 
They're wanting to put chips in people. So now you're, you're under the control of a computer. You're no longer totally human. These things are just absurd. And then if you look just in the regular things that were happening, I remember back in probably, wouldn't this be in the 80s, I think, I stopped to talk to a pastor. They had uh, rented a portion of our building. And he says, you know, Dave, he says, it's uh, now at the point. This is, this is in the early 80s. He says, it's now at the point that if you go to Bible college and you get your certificate, and if you happen to be gay and you apply for a job at a church and they refuse you, you'll be up on a charge. That's that long ago. We don't need to go into the details of what's in the world today, and I don't intend to do that throughout the summertime. That's not our focus. But we are aware of it. Therefore, we need to be aware of the signs of the times. And I'm beginning to wonder, well, not beginning. I've been thinking this for a while. Are we beginning to see the sign of Christ's return? I'm going to read to you short passages from Matthew and from Luke about the same thing. This is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he said? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now notice that's when they just left the temple. The next section, he's now, says, and Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives overlooking the temple. And the disciples, who happened to be, and they're not listed usually, were Peter, James, John, and Andrew, came to him privately and said to him, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the, the age, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. That's the very first words out of his mouth. Watch out that no one deceive you. We're living in days, and we all know it, where we're being deceived. Propaganda, and it's forced on us, and unfortunately, the great majority of the population believe it. But Jesus says, watch out that you be not deceived. That was number one in his mind regarding these days. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will, dece will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pangs. So if we're seeing these things today on the increase, it's just the beginning. How bad is it going to get? This is Luke's account. Luke is slightly different. And we'll, we'll have a look at why. 
So Luke writes about this same discourse, and he says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The difference in Luke's account here is that he's talking about what Jesus was referring to as what was going to transpire in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Because in Luke's account, and it's the only one that refers to this, he said, they will be taken captive into all the nations. That transpired in AD 70. The Jews were scattered among the nations. But it wasn't only in AD 70, it continued. We had the Baruch rebellion in around uh, 130 to 135, I think. The final revolt, revolt against Rome, and at that time then was the final dispersion of the Jews among the nations. And that has been the case up until the present time. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. As I was growing up, my maternal grandfather was very interested in Israel. The reason he was interested was, was because my grandmother was a Jew. I think they were probably in their 30s before they were converted. And this was uppermost in his mind. And after the war, of course, in 1948, Israel became a nation. And I recall as a young child my grandfather talking about this. And he was truly amazed that the prophecies regarding Israel had actually transpired in his lifetime. And he would have felt that the Lord's return was very soon. And this has been for generations. We've all had that hope that Jesus is coming back. Israel's hope today is still for the Messiah, especially for the Orthodox Jew. They're preparing for his entrance back again to Jerusalem. So we might say, well, why do we need to know anything about these days? Well, we do need to know. In the Old Testament, one of the sons of Jacob is called Issachar. And the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. If there's anybody that ought to know what to do in these last days, it better be believers. You and I had better know where we are in world history. Things are going to transpire, and I believe very quickly. I could be wrong. 
But I think things are changing so rapidly that we're going to be faced with some things that we never dreamt that we were going to be faced with. The promise that was made to Israel was recorded back in Ezekiel chapter 37. And I just want to read it to you. This is the chapter that talks about the valley of dry bones, which was a picture of Israel being brought together again, bone to its bone, ligament to ligament, all of that until it became a standing army. That's what Ezekiel was prophesying regarding Israel. So let me read it to you. Ezekiel chapter 37, it begins at verse 18. When the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by these things? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim. Now Ephraim was Joseph's son. And the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, thus says the Lord, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, And one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two nations again. So back in the Old Testament times, you had a division within Israel. And you had the northern tribes, which went by the name of Israel, the ten northern tribes. And they went into captivity under the Assyrians, and they never returned to their land to the present day. The southern tribes were Judah and Benjamin. And it was through Judah and Benjamin that the worship of God as God wanted it continued. The northern tribes ended up worshiping idols and what have you. But the southern tribes didn't. And then we come to the days of Daniel when those southern tribes were taken into captivity. Then they returned again. They rebuilt the city. They rebuilt the temple under the time of Cyrus. Then they rebelled against God again. They left God and they suffered the consequences. And then you get to the intertestament period, which is the period between Malachi and Matthew of a space of about 400 years. And they were under persecution again, under Antiochus Epiphany. And he offered something in the temple that was referred to as the abomination of desolation. Then the Maccabees rebelled against him. They overthrew that. They restored the temple. They cleansed the temple. They reinstated the animal sacrifices. But the promise that was made was those two, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, God says, I'm going to bring them together. That happened in 1948. No wonder my grandparents were 
so excited to see that happen. And as a result, well, the Lord must be coming soon. Let me just read to you, because I want to keep in your mind that the Olivet Discourse is on the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus began to unfold what was going to take place at the end of days. Acts 1, that we're familiar with, beginning at verse 6, when the disciples had come together, they began asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were watching and a cloud took him up out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, then behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same manner in which you have watched him go into heaven. Now listen to this. Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Jesus was taken up from the Mount of Olives. He'd given his discourse from the Mount of Olives. Say, so what? Well, let me read you from Zechariah chapter 14. In verse 1, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoils taken from you, that is Israel, will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The cities shall be taken. The houses plundered, the women raped, and half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be eliminated from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west, forming a very large valley. Half the mountain will move toward the north, half towards the south, and you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach Azel. Yes, you will flee, just as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all his holy ones with him. That event has not transpired. He's coming back. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. It hasn't transpired. The promise of his coming is still sure. If you have any hesitancy of the Lord's coming, you need not have any hesitancy. He is coming back. There's an importance to the signs that we see. They asked Jesus, show us the sign. I looked this up, but I couldn't get a satisfactory answer. They said, what is the, the sign of your coming? 
He didn't say, what are the signs of your coming? I'd like to be able to share something with you, but I haven't found an answer to it. But he said, the sign. What is the sign of your coming? I'd have to propose, if I was to speculate at all, that that sign had to be in 1948. That changed everything. And the reason I say that changed everything is because I can go back in my mind, I know Nancy can go back in her mind, to the times in the 50s when I assumed that everything was great. Things began to fall apart in the 60s. When we reached the 70s, I remember distinctly, we got married, I had a job, my fellow workers had a job, their wives were at home, they didn't go out to work. And then suddenly everything changed. The wives went out to work. The price of everything went up. Now it took two wages to buy a, be able to buy a Chesterfield and appliances, whatever you needed. That was the beginning. Declines started to happen within the church. Many that would have preached a gospel of salvation for souls to be saved was watered down. And it's only gotten worse. Now, fast forward to our day and what Randy was talking about, written in 1964. And the things that we're looking at today in our society and the breakdown and the pressures that are coming upon us and the things that we never would have dreamt would have been in public. Why? Let me propose this. It's what Randy read. As soon as Israel became a nation, Satan knew something's up. He knew something's up. God had made a promise to his people. And he was going to send a Messiah. And he was against the Messiah. He tried to do his best to crucify him, to keep him from ever coming back. He couldn't prevail. He knows that he's coming back. He knows that Christ has promised that he would come back. And he's doing everything he can to destroy the church and destroy our lives. That was a turning point in our world history. What is the sign of his coming? The sign of his coming is that his people have returned to their land and they're preparing for his return. The Orthodox Jew, you can go online to the Temple Institute, and you can see what they have prepared for the reconstruction of a temple. Animal sacrifices, they have the priests, everyone's in place. A few small details they're still working on. Do you think Satan doesn't know? He knows. The pressure's on, and we're feeling the pressure. We are living in these days. How soon? I don't know. But we're living in it. We're beginning to see the beginning of what's going to transpire ahead of us. I'm not going to go into detail right now. 
but everything is being set up for the Antichrist. We're living through it. I want to share with you something. Oh my, time goes. The importance of a sign. Back in 2019, October the 9th, my wife and I went up to Beaver Valley, if you know where that is. It's just south of Meaford, south of Owen Sound. It's beautiful up there. We like to go up there in the fall just to see the colors because you've got the meandering <laughs> hillsides and things. And something happened that day that we went up. We were just taking a drive up there and back that day. And what happened, I ended up writing about it the next day, and I shared it with many of our friends through email. I'd like to read it to you, because it's the importance of what are we looking at for the signs of these days. On October the 9th, 2019, Esther and I drove to Beaver Valley, Ontario, which runs from Flesherton to, to Meaford, as well as Thornbury, to see the fall colors. This was a day we would not easily forget because of the real-life encounter we had with God, which gave us an insight into our life together over the past 48 years. We would like to share this with as many friends as we can because if it blessed us, we trust it will bless you as well. When we turned off at the first outlook point, we were approached by a fellow on a motorbike who suggested we go to Old Baldy Conservation Area to get the best view of the valley. Never having been there before, we followed his directions up a steep one-lane gravel road and soon found a parking lot from which to hike to the most scenic spots. Within 15 minutes of hiking, we came to our first view of the valley, which was breathtaking, especially with the leaves being in full color. Not long after, the same fellow showed up and told us it was even better the further we went, which we found to be true. Somehow we lost sight of him and came upon a sign directing us on how to proceed. Our intention, I said our, it was probably my intention. <laughs> I always like to go back home a different way than I came. Um, our intention was to take the loop back to the parking lot instead of retracing our steps. So soon after, we were presented with another sign giving us two options. So having examined it together, we set off down the trail. After at least half an hour or more, we seemed to come to a dead end, so I figured we would need to retrace our steps back to the sign where we made our decision to take this path. However, Esther noticed a marked marking on a tree which indicated we were still on the path, but in front of us was a steep incline over roots and boulders which we would need to climb over. I went on ahead to make sure the path did indeed continue, which it did. So we proceeded for at least another half an hour. Keep in mind, we weren't 20 anymore. Um, all this climbing up and down. And I hadn't walked any distance in ages, and she had a problem with her knee. It became quite evident to me that we should have reached the parking lot by this time. I was taking the lead, so Esther was behind me. As I pondered our situation, I came to the conclusion that we were lost. So I spoke out audibly, and I said, Lord, we're lost. Would you please show us how to get back to the parking lot? Esther affirmed this from behind me and says, Amen. No more than three to five minutes later, we were approached by a woman we had seen earlier on the path with her walking poles. She recognized us as well, so I asked her, I said, if we stay on this path, will we come to the parking lot? 
Her answer shocked me when she said that this was the Niagara Escarpment Trail from which, which runs from Niagara Falls to Tobermory. And we were heading towards Niagara Falls, which when I looked it up after we got home, 225 kilometers away. The only way to get back to the car park was to retrace our struts, which required us to go back down the steep incline of boulders we had climbed up about half an hour before. On we trudged up and down until Esther's heart began to beat hard. She was at the end of her endurance and told me she couldn't go any further. And I wondered, what am I going to do? We stopped momentarily until she felt able to proceed up the next hill. After what seemed like an eternity, we heard voices ahead of us. This was the first time after retracing our steps, we heard a single voice, never mind seeing anyone. After a brief conversation with our fellow travelers, they assured us we were heading in the right direction and further assurance was given us by another group of people. Eventually, we came to another signpost which gave us two options on how to proceed. With, one or, uh, with no one around to ask and not knowing which way to take, I decided to check out the path to the left, which after a brief inspection was not the way we had come. Therefore, we proceeded to take the other path which soon became familiar to me. Esther, not being good with directions, was still completely confused as to where we were. Eventually, we came to another sign with an arrow showing that we were at the extreme top end of the hike and would soon be heading back in the direction of the parking lot. Before proceeding this time, I walked a short distance to the right to see if anything was familiar to me. I didn't remember a thing, and I don't have Alzheimer's. So when I looked down the other path, I recognized a boardwalk we had crossed on our way to the lookout point. To my consternation, I took a look at the sign that was pointing us when we first came in. The signs we were trying to follow were mirrored. What was left was right. And the hiking path where it says you are here was actually at the opposite end to where we were. No wonder we got lost. Many times in life, we come to a crossroads, not knowing which way to go. If the signs are incorrect, we unknowingly head down the wrong path. And even if they are correct, we are still left with a choice to make as to which way to go. I think some of you can remember times in your life when that was the case. However, Regardless of all the signs we are presented with, we don't always take the right path. Sometimes we don't have accurate information, and other times we're just too bullheaded to listen. And we won't ask anybody, especially us men. Before we know it, we're lost and either not willing to admit it because we may appear weak or horror of horrors, we have had to acknowledge that we made the wrong choice. In our case, had we continued for another couple of hours and then decided to retrace our steps, we may have had to stay the night without water, and there was none in sight, nor food. The day was warm, so we did not wear our coats for such a short hike, nor did we have tools to make a shelter with. It went down to six degrees that night. Had I not called out to God, we would have been in a bad shape. 
by the morning, especially at our age. If I had been waiting to hear God's booming voice from heaven and ignored the woman he had sent to guide us, would have been in big trouble. And God uses people. Don't forget. Say, oh, I didn't hear from God. How many people did he send into your life to show you? Too many times in life's decisions, we are too proud to admit we're lost. Therefore, we never ask anyone for counsel. And in fact, even God's counsel does not enter our consciousness. Sometimes we're presented with two scenarios, both of which are wrong. We either take the wrong path due to ignorance of the facts, of the facts, or the other one is we assume that by continuing on the same path that we're on is the right path. Even when all the signs are pointing to us in another totally different direction. Some of you have gone through that. I've talked to you. I grew up in a certain stream of Christianity. And I would assume then to stay on that stream. God had other plans. That was not the stream I was on. I assumed. Don't assume. Don't depend on your own understanding or emotions. It's imperative that we seek direction from God and him alone. Israel missed out on seeing the sign pointing them to follow Christ who was full of grace and truth. Their choice was to follow the law of Moses instead of Christ. And as a nation has lost out on experiencing the grace of God and the freedom and liberty of Christianity in which they could have enjoyed a relationship with Christ their Messiah, unfortunately, this has not only been true of Israel, but also of many Christian communities today. Christianity is not based on what I can do to make myself pleasing to God, but rather on what Christ has done for God to accomplish his plan of salvation for us. Life's path presents us with many crossroads. If we do not seek the Lord's direction along, with the, along the way at some point, we will need to retrace our steps back to the point at which we misread or ignored the signpost. Our experience that day showed us that the way back takes time and it's fraught with much doubt and discouragement. However, if we take the wrong path, if, if we f keep our focus on Jesus Christ, he will guide us to his intended destination. I keep saying this over and over again. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you're following down the wrong path, the only way that you're going to find the right path is to keep focused on Jesus. Had I not admitted to God that day that I was lost, the outcome could have been disastrous. Don't neglect to speak to the Lord if you need direction. Don't be too proud to go back to the point where you departed from him so that you can take the path that leads to life. Though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of oppression, yet your teacher will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will constantly see your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right hand or to the left.
We need to keep our eyes focused in these days. All the signs are pointing to the Lord's return. My question is, are you ready? If you're here tonight and you haven't come to Jesus to receive salvation, you need to make a decision tonight. If you're here and you've gone down the wrong path and you're confused, turn back to Christ. He will guide you. I know. I've proved it. So many times I've stepped out of the way. So many times I've become discouraged. So many times, like the soldier that I read last week for Sim and Joe, the battle was too much and I'm copping out of the battle. We're in a battle, but I believe the time is short. Let's be victorious in the battle. It's already won. Jesus is coming back.